and the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. So this week, some of us ate some fantastic pancakes, thanks to Ainsley and her team. And on Wednesday, some of us had ash put on our heads, some of us twice. And that can only mean one thing. It's Lent. Now, because I'm an Anglican and have grown up an Anglican, I just assume that everyone knows what Lent is about. But as you know, if you assume that makes an ass out of you and me, and it turned out that not everyone knows what Lent is about, so I thought this week I might start by talking a little bit about Lent and what is it. So, Lent is the season of 40 days, not counting Sundays. It begins on Ash Wednesday and it goes through to Holy Saturday. Not Easter Saturday. Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter Sunday. You can't have an Easter something until you've had Easter Day and the Sunday is the Easter. So then you have Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter Sunday, Easter Monday, Easter Tuesday, Easter Wednesday, Easter Thursday, Easter Friday. Easter Saturday is nearly a week afterwards. I was driving here once on Good Friday listening to the Christian Broadcasting Association on their Good Friday thing and they said, so what are you all up to on this Easter Friday? And I went, oh my goodness. It's not Easter yet, we haven't had Easter Sunday. So, 40 days. And if you count all of those from Ash Wednesday to then, you'll see that in fact there are too many days, which is why the Sundays aren't included, and I'll get back to that. And it's 40 days because it mirrors the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness, the story that we just heard. The word Lent comes from the Anglo-Saxon word Langton, which means spring. And in the Northern Hemisphere that makes sense, doesn't it? Because this is all about spring, whereas we're kind of beginning to look towards autumn. Got those trees out there think it's already become autumn, so they're dropping leaves furiously. Um, still hanging out for summer. So, 40 days Jesus was in uh, the wilderness, and um, that's why on the first Sunday of Lent, every year we will hear the story of Jesus in the wilderness from whichever gospel we're focused on that year. So this year we're in the Markin, we're in Mark's gospel, so we heard the Markin version. When we're in Matthew's gospel, we hear Matthew's version. When we're in Luke's gospel, we hear Luke's gospel. And because Mark's gospel is very brief, it's to the point, and I think the wilderness experience, if we'd stuck with that, would have been one verse. So the lectionary writers decided that wasn't long enough, so they've clumped a whole lot more stuff in there. And um, that's why we've had the story of his baptism as well as Jesus preaching, just to kind of pad it out a bit, and I'll come back to that. So in the early church, Lent was a time originally where the baptismal candidates were prepared for baptism. So the big baptisms were always done on Easter Sunday. That was the day of baptisms, and so the 40 days before that were a time of preparation for those who were being baptised. Eventually the church decided to go through a catechetical process, and um, which is quite a, a process of pairing people up and going through a process of uh, reflection, and I uh, can just leave this picture, that's fine. And um, 
And that would take one year, and then it took two years. And so Lent at that point became a time of preparation for Easter for those who were already baptised. So that's where our Lenten practices come from. So it became a time to focus on our relationship with God, and we do that by giving up something. So traditionally we give up ice cream or chocolate biscuits, or nowadays lots of people give up social media, Facebook, Instagram, all those kind of things. And um, or by volunteering and giving of themselves or their money to various uh, community groups. It is a time for us to re-establish our rhythms of life into the rhythms of God. During the year we can easily kind of get distracted by the busyness of life and Lent offers us an opportunity to stop and to take note of how we're living our lives. And that's where the three kind of points of prayer and fasting and giving come from. We pray more, we fast more, that's where the giving up ice cream and chocolate or plain biscuits comes from, or uh, we give uh, either through our time or our money. So we re-establish ourselves into the rhythms of God. Sundays are not included in Lent because Sundays are always days of celebration. They are a day of the resurrection. And you can't have repentance and sorrow, etc., on a day where you're supposed to be celebrating the resurrection. So Sundays were always and are always excluded from those kind of activities. Sundays are always days of feasting. So if you're giving up something for Lent, you're allowed to do it on Sunday. You don't have to, but you're allowed to. So, what's the point of all this praying and fasting and giving? Why are we giving up our chocolates and our ice cream and if you're Clark, plain biscuits? Actually, one year I gave up going to church. I was away so much that I didn't actually go to a proper Sunday church service from the beginning of Lent to the end of Lent. So, I'm pretty sure that wasn't one of the things you were supposed to give up. But that's how it worked out for me. So, why are we doing this? Are we doing this to feel good about ourselves, to be able to say, look at me, I'm being all super virtuous and I'm fasting and praying and such, or at least just saying that internally to ourselves, feeling good about ourselves. Well, the Gospel reading Fash Wednesday had some pretty harsh warnings about if that's your attitude. Is it so we can keep on track, so we can get into heaven? Or is it something else? I want to spend a moment or two just looking at our Gospel reading today to explore why we might do Lent. So as I said, Mark is a little brief, so we get a whole lot more story. I can just hold it for a bit longer. And um, so we get the story of Jesus' baptism along with the story of him going out into the wilderness. So, uh, in fact, Jesus' baptism, um, I don't think we've had it already, but we could have had it already. So... Uh, Originally, Epiphany, which has come to mean the revelation of Jesus as God to the Gentiles, was just the revelation of Jesus as God. And there were several readings that were packed in with that. One of them was the coming of the Magi, the wise men. Uh, So that's on January the 5th, is it? Something like that. And um, so... Uh, the, the wise men come, which is why on Christmas, if you'd come, our wise men were over by the Christmas tree because they hadn't arrived yet. They were still on their way there. And the, the kind of nativity scene was here. So the wise men ar- arrive on January, I think it's the 5th, it might be the 8th, I can't remember. 
And, um, but along with that, originally, were some other readings. And one of those other readings was the baptism of Jesus, because that's when Jesus was revealed as God. And I think the transfiguration was tucked in there as well. So there were three readings that were originally put in there as readings that kind of showed who Jesus was. That's what Epiphany was all about. And then over time, uh, they got separated out. So it just became about the Magi on Epiphany, and the baptism of Jesus was moved a day or two earlier or later. So on Epiphany Sunday, we also have the option of having the baptism of Jesus, which always feels a little weird, because there he is an adult, and we're still kind of thinking of him as a baby. So we tend not to do it, but that's why it's there. So we could have had it there. Now, in Mark's Gospel, and in fact in the other Gospels, these, this, these two stories, the baptism of Jesus and then going out into the wilderness, are linked. They are part of the same story. So, And that's very clear in Mark's Gospel, because Jesus is baptised by John the Baptizer in the Jordan, and then as he comes up out of the water, he looks up and he sees heaven torn apart, and the NRSV says a dove descends on him, but the Greek is actually says it enters into him, so the spirit isn't hovering around him like an annoying bird or a buzzy bee or something, but the spirit actually enters into him, and he hears the voice of God, and then he is driven out into the wilderness. He doesn't have any choice about this. He is compelled by the spirit that now dwells within him. So the Spirit enters into him and drives him out into the wilderness. And when he hears that voice, the voice says to him, You are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. Some of the other versions kind of change the beloved. You are my son, the beloved. That is the first name given to Jesus, the beloved. Not the Messiah, not the titles given to him as he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, not the one who comes in the name of the Lord, not the one who will restore the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of David or the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, but the Beloved. I wonder if one of our temptations is to use the grand titles for Jesus that we often so that we so often do, which may actually distract us from that first title, the Beloved. And I wonder how our prayers might change if we prayed to Jesus, the Beloved. And then Jesus, the Beloved, is driven by the Spirit out into the wilderness, where he confronts the Satan. He confronts the powers of evil. Now, for a long time, I've kind of... And Many of the commentaries kind of, this is a kind of initial testing for Jesus, and uh, then the real work begins. But actually, if you place the story back into the world of Jesus, and if you place it back into the theology of the early church, which is not a theology of Jesus dying for our sins so that God is no longer angry with us so that we can get into heaven, but that Jesus came to pay the price being demanded by the powers of evil so that this world could be freed and humanity freed so that God could fix it. 
As God promised to do in our first reading today with the rainbow, God says, I will fix this. And this is God fixing it. If we place that story back into here, back into that context, then this story of Jesus in the wilderness becomes quite an important story. It is the beginning of what he is sent to do. And what he is sent to do is confront the powers of evil. He is sent to confront and defeat the Satan. And so right at the beginning, he goes out into the wilderness and he confronts them. He confronts all that holds, ensnares the world and all who live in it. Because you see, for people of his time, the world was seen as ensnared by the sin and corruption and death that entered the world with the sin of Adam and Eve. And evil abounded. And humanity lived under sentence of death, not from God, but from the powers of evil. Lived under sentence of death from the Satan. And so Jesus the Beloved begins by confronting these powers. And in doing so, he brings harmony. So what does Mark say? He was tended, he lived with the wild beasts and was tended by the angels. He lived with the wild beasts. How many of us live with the wild beasts? The wild beasts and us in conflict is a sign of the world gone awry. But Jesus is there in the wilderness living with the, the wild beasts. It's a picture that Isaiah could have painted. Isaiah's pictures of what the world should look like. And there is Jesus doing it, living with the wild beasts. Actually, we should have had the baptism store picture up by now. So, Jesus the Beloved continues... Then, uh, after that, when the powers of evil have John the Baptizer arrested and beheaded, Jesus the Beloved continues what he began in the wilderness. He goes out and pre preaches, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. The good news that starts with Jesus in the wilderness, confronting those powers that hold the world captive. And that good news, that work culminates in his death. When all seemed lost, when the powers of evil are when the powers of evil seem to have won, that is actually the moment of their defeat. That is the point where creation is freed and the chains holding humanity to the ways of death are broken. So, just to say again, for the longest time it was not thought that it was God the Father who required Jesus the beloved's death. Instead, in killing Jesus the Beloved on the cross, the powers of evil and death that put him there, that demanded death for human sin, they are the ones who are defeated. And the reign of God in Jesus the Beloved begins, and we are part of that. So what then is Lent about? Lent is when we see ourselves as part of that reign. The reign of Jesus the Beloved. And Lent is the time we notice all the ways that we are distracted from that. All the ways that we pay attention to other things. All the ways that we are 
led astray. All the ways that we think that evil is still winning. It may look like it, but the gospel is clear. Evil has been defeated. The reign of Jesus the Beloved has begun. Lent is a time for us to remember that through Christ the Beloved, we are created in the image of God who created all things in love. And that in Jesus the Beloved, we become the Beloved. Lent invites us to take the time to notice all the ways we forget who God is, all the ways we forget who we are, all the ways that we live, all the ways that we live that deny who we are. And we are invited to live in new new ways as Beloved. In the pew sheet, I've offered uh, some ways, a quote from Pope Francis about how we might do that. So, uh, a way of fasting. So, what to fast and what to take up. What to fast from and what to take up. And it does not include ice cream or chocolate. Or the internet. Or alcohol. It involves our attitudes. How we treat each other. I want to finish with another quote from Pope Francis. So, it's a Pope Francis kind of fest at this point. Uh, Our evening Ash Wednesday service down at St. Mary Immaculate began with this. And this small quote, which is part of his um, Lenten message this year, asks why we are taking part in Lent and invites us to take part for the sake of all who have yet to live in the reign of God in Jesus the Beloved, the one who restores creation and names us humanity beloved. So Pope Francis says, I would also like my invitation to extend beyond the bounds of the Catholic Church and to reach all of you, men and women of goodwill, who are open to hearing God's voice. Perhaps, like ourselves, you are disturbed by the spread of iniquity in the world. You are concerned about the chill that paralyzes hearts and actions, and you see a weakening in our sense of being members of one human family. Join us, then, in raising our plea to God in fasting and in offering whatever you can to our brothers and sisters in need. If we do Lent for ourselves, we've missed the point. If we do it for the world, we're on track. May this Lent be a blessed time of growth in the reign of Jesus the Beloved. So let's just reflect on that invitation from Pope Francis and uh, we won't do a creed, we'll just move quietly on into the prayers.